Hey, Rob, you okay? Am I okay? Are you okay? <laughs> am I okay? Why are you repeating me? Why am I repeating you? Okay, stop it. Sorry, Ray. I'm just doing some repetition exercises, which some method actors love to do at parties and on first dates. Oh, cool. Wait, does that mean you're going to teach us about method acting today? I, I can't wait. You can't wait. I, I can't wait. I, I can't wait. This is going to be a long one, isn't it? was a thing. I can't get my mind off those fireside chats and the music of Ruth and Ing. Jesse Owens could run, Greta Garbo had fun, and sweet Charlie Temple could sing. All these things and Hi, I'm Ray. And I'm Rob. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. Are you ready for today's episode? Because, folks, we are talking about the method and turns oh, yes. of method acting. Uh, it was a thing. Uh, it still is a thing. And it's a term that's being used quite liberally without people actually knowing the definition of it. Now, what we're going to do today on this episode is take a look at exactly what was method acting, where did it come from, where is it presently, and the different breakoffs and the different teachers who teach method acting oh boy. that people incorrectly all say is part of the method, but is not. Now, Ray, you are an actor, yes? Sure. I've seen you act. I've seen you act like you forgot your credit card every time we go out to go lunch together. Uh, I've seen you... <laughs> uh, not again! <laughs> you you got this one? I swear. I, I, I got the next one. It's like being with Wimpy from Popeye. <laughs> now, this is the thing, because it was the first time the world of acting was brought into the modern world, and it was done so with very controversial results. Now, the method was a revolution in the world of entertainment, one that is still with us today, and is a term that is rarely applied correctly. Now, regardless of what performance medium you're in, or that you like, theater, film, television, or you know, whatever whatever you seem to enjoy. What do you enjoy, theater, film, or television? Oh, I like them all. Yeah, you do, baby. You will probably still see the method. Now, there are different schools that teach the method, which pretty much says that acting is living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Yeah, okay. Once again, the term is acting truthfully under imaginary circumstances. But uh, how each school of thought gets there is drastically different. Uh, and in my opinion, as a professor of theater bizarre and psychologically debilitating i am not a fan of acting schools and studios if you are god bless you amazing for me a lot of times i think the school what the schools do is a school in this in this country means obviously that somebody produces work of an educational aspect and then you as the teacher or instructor have to grade that student which means you have to then like codify what delineates an A between a B between a C? Does that make sense? Yeah. And then what? Well, so, they didn't so, cry. Well, you didn't cry. C. No, but exactly. So, like, when you go to this acting school and you're not doing it the way they want you to do it, they might go, oh, you're a bad actor. It's not that you're a it's bad subjective. actor. It's subjective. So, anyway, that's just my opinion. And so, uh, yeah, here we go. Now, I think the best example that people can talk about when it comes to the method is uh, the movie Marathon Man with Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier, right? And uh, they were Dustin Hoffman is an American actor of the method. Laurence Olivier is not of the method school of acting. He's from the, the British school of acting. And there was a scene in the movie where Dustin Hoffman was supposed to have been awake for like 48 hours, the character. And so he shows up on set having not slept for 48 hours. And Laurence Olivier is like, why are you so tired? And Dustin Hoffman tells him like why he did it. And Olivier apparently just looked at him and said, have you ever tried acting, my dear boy? And that's kind of what the method is. Now, to, the method <laughs> the method has been around since the 1930s, the, what we're going to call the method. It really should be called the system, and I'll talk about that oh, in, in a little bit later on. Uh, no, no, no. It sounds more ominous that way. Make, the system, starring Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> 
The method, though, the idea of method blew up in the late 1940s and the early 1950s with one very specific actor who sort of became the poster boy for what method acting was supposed to be. Ray, that actor was? Uh, Stan Laurel. It's not Stan Laurel. <laughs> oh, jeez. Um, you know it. It's, you're going to go crazy when you... What if I said the name Stella? Oh, yeah, duh. Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. So, folks, it's hard to imagine now, but Marlon, before Marlon Brando, acting in film, because that was what a majority of people knew at the time, was very stilted and stylized, and it was just actors that really weren't playing characters. They were just always variations of themselves in different costumes. Here's a little clip of Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell, two brilliant performers, two brilliant uh, movie stars, but... not really acting here per se and please once again don't yell and scream at me that they are acting and i just don't know i realize that they're acting they're saying the lines and yes they're very lovely but either one of them could be replaceable at any second i don't think the other one would know the difference here we go that's what they say about this show (laughs) what i came up here to tell you is that you must stop phoning me a dozen times Uh a day sending me 20 telegrams i write a beautiful telegram don't i everybody says that are you going to listen to what i have to say look look what's the use of fighting hildy i'll tell you what you do you come back to work on the paper if we find we can't get along in a friendly fashion we'll get married again what certainly i haven't any hard feelings oh all to your (laughs) wonderful and a loathsome sort of way now will you please be quiet just long enough for me to tell you what i came up here to say i have a lunch date already i cannot break it will you take your hands off me what are you playing osteopath i'll listen walter you are no longer my husband so not it's clear they're not listening to each other per se they're listening for their cue lines what great uh clark gable from Gone with the Wind, probably another great example of this. You could put Vivian Lee across from him. You could put an elephant across from him. I think you're still going to get the same line reading. So once again, listen to the stiltedness of his dialogue. Once again, friends, if you love Clark Gable, go live your life. You should have made your presence known. In the middle of that beautiful love scene? That wouldn't have been very tactful, would it? But don't worry. Your secret is safe with me. Sir, you are no gentleman. And you, miss, are no lady. Oh. Don't think that I hold that against you. Ladies have never held any charm for me. First you take a low, common advantage of me, then you insult me. I meant it as a compliment. And I hope to see more of you when you're free of the spell of the elegant Mr. Wilkes. He doesn't strike me as half good enough for a girl of your... uh, What was it? Your passion for living? How dare you! You aren't fit to... And then... It breaks through with Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando makes a pretty big name for himself in Tennessee Williams' A Streetcar Named Desire because what he's trying to reflect on stage is no artifice, no pretense, just actually trying to be like a real human being, even going so far as to mumble his lines, turn up stage, etc. We laugh now, but it was revolutionary at the time to actually see someone who looked inside, and it feels like he's not making this up as he goes along. It just—it felt like you were watching a documentary. Um, this is him in a scene from the movie of Streetcar Named Desire. Remember what you just heard with Clark Gable? Remember what you just heard with Cary Grant? And then get this sense from Marlon Brando. Here we go. Now, that's how I'm going to clear the table. Don't you ever talk that way to me. Pig, Polak, disgusting, vulgar, greasy. Those kind of words have been on your tongue and your sister's tongue is too much around here. Who do you think you are, a pair of queens? I just remember what Huey Long said, that every man's a king and I'm the king around here. And don't you forget it. My place is all cleared up now. You want me to clear yours? Now, you can't take your eyes off of him. He looks like and sounds like somebody on the street. This is a revolution in acting. People said Marlon Brando was method, and that's going to be a little bit debatable, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. So the, even the poster boy for the method might not even have been <laughs> method. You, fought, you with me so far? I am. Uh, we're going to talk about the beginnings of acting. Okay. It's hard to understand now, but prior to the late 1800s, acting looked nothing at all like real human behavior. Um, it was epic. It was grand. It was declamatory. There were no acting schools, just actors learning from other actors to be loud, make broad gestures, and use their voice as an instrument to shake and quiver the heavens. Wow. Who'd you learn that from? Brutus. Oh. Oh. Brutus Booth. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so it's it's big, it's melodramatic, it's it's overblown. It's not at, supposed to look at all like real life. Now, this slowly began to change in the late 1800s with a theatrical genre known as naturalism, which wanted to hold a realistic mirror up to society. And suddenly, that overacting style seemed out of place in these naturalistic plays like Ibsen's A Dollhouse, which is the story of a woman leaving her husband, uh, or uh, Ibsen's Ghosts, which is about STIs. A new form had to be created that was more naturalistic in acting, and that is where we meet the hero of today's story, Konstantin Stanislavski. Born in Russia in 1863, Stanislavski started his career as a great character actor, but soon moved to the world of directing. But what he really wanted to do was direct. But even the role of the director was a pretty new concept. Because prior to George II, Duke of Saxe-Meiningen, that was his full name, George II, Duke of Saxe-Meiningen. Do you think his driver's license was way bigger than normal? People? Absolutely. <laughs> it's like an accordion paper. <laughs> License and register. <laughs> <laughs> he, in the 1800s, pretty much invented direction. Before that, actors would move themselves across the stage, give notes to other actors. And that was pretty successful, but there was no one at the top of the pyramid until George II, Duke of Saxe-Meinigen. In the 1860s, George decided to take his money and create a theatrical troupe in Germany where he demanded realistic lighting, realistic performances, and historically accurate costumes and scenery prior to this actors dressed like stars regardless of the roles they were playing anyway so george the second dukes the sax mine again he was the one who put a stop to all of that he also was the first to create multi-level sets and the big thing for George II, Duke of Saxe-Meiningen, was ensemble acting, that nobody should take priority, that it should all act as one whole company. Stanislavski saw the George II productions, and he became transfixed. Now, Stanislavski, as an actor, he encountered roadblocks a lot of the time as an actor into understanding why a character does what they do, like human beings mm -hmm. do, and what are they doing. And believe it or not, we all have objectives. And so he began to implement a rigorous system of investigation to his acting and to shows he directed, which led to the most groundbreaking technique, which is known as the system. Does that all make sense so far? I think so. He was like, why, when I struggle, he goes, when I'm playing a character, why, why do I struggle? What do I always come back to? Well, what am I going after and why am I doing it? And he realized at this time, actors did not ask. Actors had no understanding of psychology. Actors had no understanding of trying to imitate human behavior. It was kind of not what you were supposed to be doing as an actor. But for him, he felt he was more connected when he was using psychology. So this is going to be the first time where there's like an actual method to the the style of acting. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about what Stanislavski's system was because it's also running parallel to the works of Sigmund Freud and analysis. So it kind of all blends together. He created a few things that were going to be revolutionary, most of which were happening at his Moscow Art Theater. That's, just, that's the theater Stanislavski opened for himself, uh, which would allow people like Anton Chekhov, who also loved this realistic form, to do his plays there as well. Okay. Um, so Chekhov, who also believed you should be holding up a mirror to real life and didn't want to write like potboiler melodramas anymore the two of them work together really really well because they're both going after the same goal which is to imitate human behavior so his was the director centric system in which the actors and designers are at the service of the director's singular vision we hadn't had that before pre-planning before anyone even got involved how the actors would behave where they would move and the overall framework of the scenes so he would actually think, okay, in this scene, this actor's this character is angry, so I'm going to tell the actor, play it angry. Usually no one told the actors anything. Mm -hmm. So this was also pretty revolutionary, but it's all now the director-centric system. Later in life, um, he also implemented improvisational techniques for actors to better understand a scene. So if we, when you do improv, thanks Stanislavski. Zip, zap, no. Stanislavski. <laughs> no, no, you love improv. That's, I, I don't know Stanislavski. if I love him, Oh, well, though. okay. He also brought the world of subtext into drama. Oh, and, good. And most importantly, discussion. He built into rehearsals the time for the actors and him to sit around the table, talk about the play, the characters, why the characters were doing what they were doing. It was not about being loud. It was, not, it was about being believable. Or as he said, quote, acting is behaving truthfully, 
under imaginary circumstances. Basically, he's creating the art of experiencing where the actor experiences genuine emotions as opposed to the art of representing those emotions, which is what people were doing uh, before he came around. And because he was big into education, Stanislavski believed in open rehearsals so anyone could come and watch and see how it was working. Now, Stanislavski's productions were widely praised and actors wanted to learn about the system, but they couldn't if they weren't in the show. Do you know what I mean? You can, yeah. There's a difference between watching it and actually getting up there and doing it. So Stanislavski decided he was going to teach the system at various schools. So once again, folks, when we're saying system, what we're really saying is, is can you behave truthfully under imaginary circumstances so it doesn't look broad? Can you tell us what the character is doing, what the objective is, and why are they doing it, which is their motivation? Mm -hmm. And also respect the author. So in 1912, he created the first school to begin teaching his system in Russia to young actors who wanted to be uh, professionals. And the emphasis here was on experimentation. So there was a lot of improv and games. One of the things that he uh, he did was like work with like like uh not, I don't want to say mind but like spatial relations and spatial dimensions and all and that stuff. 1916 he created a second studio that was ex about productions. So like you would learn the technique under the production code. It's kind of like what people do in acting schools in college now, Got it. which is like you take you learn about it and then you actually try to apply it while still learning about it. Now, here's where we branch off. So finally in 1923 one of his productions came to America and young actors flocked to see it, including some of the teachers of his system, which we'll talk about today. Now, those who couldn't see it read a book called Acting the First Six Lessons, which discussed what it was like and what was happening on the stage. So you had to, if you couldn't be there, you could read about it. Then Stanislavski never stopped learning about the art of acting and what he learned he always wanted to pass off to other people. So later on, he discovered that you can create tempo shifts in dialogue the same way that you can with music in scenes. Also, a huge emphasis, and this is where it's going to get pretty big for us, on emotional recall. His idea was that when you're in a scene, if you and I, if, if you and I were in a scene together and we play two people that are fighting and I say something very hurtful to you, instead of you listening to me saying the line, you think of a time when you, Ray, personally felt hurt. And then you bring that emotion to your line reading into the reaction to what I just said. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It's a lot of thinking to do in the, in the moment, in the scene. Well, I think you rehearse it, you know, man? What? You rehearse it. Like, you practice it a few times beforehand. Look, we only got one day for rehearsal. Okay. <laughs> we don't have ten days. Yeah. And he was also into improvisational group staging. Do you remember how before I was saying he like pre-staged everything? Mm -hmm. So in his mind, he was like, okay, they're going to move here when they say that. And then they'll move here when they say that. Very detailed oriented. Now with large groups, he's like, he's like, here's the objective. You're supposed to stock the shelves. And instead of telling them on this line, you move here and let, so just go. So he was also getting a little bit freer as time went on. Okay. Unfortunately, in, 19, in uh, the 30s, Stanislavski has a heart attack. He couldn't get back on stage, and he didn't really have a lot of energy for a big directing project. So he was like, I'll, I'll write what I know. And he wrote a book, which has now become the foundation of the method, called An Actor's Work, which is a fictional diary of an acting student. Here's the problem, though. The book is divided into three volumes. Inner experiencing, meaning emotionally what's going on. Outer characterization, what can you do physically to get the audience to understand the story. Uh, and the and like doing the research and all that stuff, and then the rehearsal, which is taking those two, putting them together. So he really wrote three. What he was hoping was going to be three books. The problem, though, is there were a lots of there were lots of issues with all of this. Uh, one, which was uh, in America, they didn't want it to be uh, three; they wanted it to be a different one. Um, when things got translated, things got omitted. So it's kind of like he wrote instruction manuals and then everybody just sort of tore it up and switched it around and all of that stuff <laughs> does that make sense no yeah, yeah 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 so you're not really getting a full sense i think of what he wanted because it's so um it's so compartmentalized and if you only have one part of the instruction manuals it's pretty hard then when somebody gives you uh, the instruction manuals revised yep. And you're like, I don't know what to do, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. To me, I feel like it's a puzzle that keeps changing its picture with, okay. with each time you get one of these books or one of these translations. In later years, um, like we all do, Stanislavski began to believe that what he thought 
when he was younger was not correct. And he needed to spice that up a little bit and make some revisions to his education. So he created something called Method of Physical Action, which said, enough talking about it. Let's just do it. So remember all the like sitting around the table and discussing stuff? He's like, fuck it. Just get on stage. Just do it. It's going to be better. To, it, it'll, it'll make your instincts stronger. Okay. Also, now this is where we're going to have a real big split here in what method acting is. So if you're taking notes, write it down. He had the idea of emotional memory, right? The emotional recall, which is, Ray, you think about a time in your personal life when you were sad, and we'll bring that on stage. He was like, this isn't working. He goes, I don't think this works. It's not helping the actor. And he said, what's better is to use your imagination under the idea of the magic if. Like, if she says this to you, what would you do? So the idea is, is to become more in one with the character as opposed to, you ever, have you ever been in a rehearsal where an actor says something like, uh, well, I don't know why my character would say that. Or I, I wouldn't say that to her. That's what he's trying to get you away sure. from. He's like, no, forget yourself. Leave yourself behind. It's about the character. Mm -hmm. So Brent, figure it out. Figure it out. He said in performance, the actor is aware of only one step at a time, but this focus risks the loss of the overall dynamic of a role in the welter of moment to moment detail. So what he's saying is, is like, whether you like it or not, folks, it's still theater and it still has to have a story behind it. So just because so like you also have to learn how to parcel out your emotions. Mm -hmm. Like you might want to cry here, you might want to cry here, but the character doesn't. So Towards the end of his life, he started switching a lot of his perspective. Then he huh. died in 1938. So here is the most brilliant acting teacher of his time who's revolutionizing the way artists on stage communicate. But everything he is saying is literally getting lost in a game of telephone. And because it's getting lost in the system, what happens to people that then want to take his system and then teach it on their own when they also don't have the whole story? And this is where we really begin our story of the method. Okay. Which really should be called the system. And how it created a war between three teachers, all with the same goal, just drastically different on which way they were going to get there. The first is Lee Strasberg. He is the father of method acting. He is the person who took Stanislavski's work and applied it to American acting. And if you're a Godfather 2 fan, he's Hyman Ross. <laughs> so as a young immigrant in the turn of the century, Lower East Side, Strasberg found theater to be a refuge for himself. He got into acting, but in 1923, that's when the Moscow Art Theater, Stanislavski and Chekhov, all okay. of them, came over to New York and the United States and did performances. So now... American audiences could see, oh, this is the stage revolution everyone is talking about. Some people liked it, some people didn't, but Strasberg loved it. And he thought this, the idea of like realism happening and the fact that there's characters who aren't speaking, but they're still imagining they're in the play, which is not how it used to be when it came to so acting. Crazy. Right? Actors would just sort of stand there and think about, like, what do I want for dinner until it was their line to talk? Like a staged concert. Yeah, exactly. And this just, like, woke up a fire in Lee Strasberg. So he sought out actors who had studied with uh, okay. Stanislavski, and that was Richard Solosky and Maria Ospinskaya, um, who studied with him directly. So he was like, great, I'm going to learn. If I can't learn the system from Konstantin himself, I'll at least learn it from people who were there in the room. But also, once again, it's kind of a game of telephone. This is from a biography. Uh, quote, what Strasberg took away from the actor's lab, which is where he was with um, the, the, the teachers that studied with Stanislavski, was a belief that just as an actor could be prepared physically for his work with dance, movement, and fencing classes, he could be mentally prepared to resort to analogous mental exercises. They worked on relaxation as well as concentration. They worked with non-existent objects that helped prepare them for the exploration of equally ephemeral emotions. They learned to use effective memory, as Strasberg called the most controversial aspect of his teaching, summoning emotions from their own lives to illuminate their stage roles. Strasberg believed he could codify this system, a necessary precursor to teaching it to anyone who wanted to learn it. He became a director more preoccupied with getting his actors to work in the correct way than he was in shaping the overall presentation. In 1931, uh, Strasberg helped form the Group Theater in New York, which is very similar to the Moscow Art Theater. But instead of it calling it the system, he just called it the method. So he's trying to teach 
the same things that Stanislavski's teaching, but he Americanized it. Yeah. It's like when they take no those, translation. No, no translation. It's like when they take those British TV shows and put them on an American, change the title. And it's like, <laughs> but it's still the same show. Uh, here, he would codify what he wanted to teach, but his main emphasis was on using your emotions for the character, as well as far more importantly, into the character's life before the curtain rises. In rehearsal, the character's prehistory, perhaps going back to childhood, is discussed and even acted out the play became the climax of the character's existence. So you had to act out scenes from this character's life that we as the audience never get to see. The group theater, which is the group that he's a part of, with its self-defined mission to reconnect theater to the world of ideas and actions, staged plays that confronted social and moral issues. And the members of this group included Harold Clerman, Lee Strasberg himself, Stella and Luther Adler, uh, Sandy Meisner, Clifford Odets, uh, Elliot Kazan, um, and the problem is, when you put all these actors in a room together, it's not going to go very well. Oh, no, no, no. Now, because of these showmances that are gone awry, Elliot Kazan, famous director, Robert Lewis, and Cheryl Crawford were like, fuck this, this place is too dramatic for us. And they left to start the Actor Studio in 1947, where the emphasis wasn't on production, but actual acting classes. Mm. And then a couple of years later, Strasberg became the head of that organization. Oh, wow. So that's like the Lee Strasberg uh, School, which is now also known as the Actor Studio. Uh, are you a fan of James Lipton and Inside the Actor Studio? Yes. That's exactly what this was. Uh, now, uh, admission to the Actor Studio was usually by audition with more than a thousand actors auditioning each year and the directors only giving uh, membership to five or six. Jack Nicholson auditioned five times before he was accepted. Dustin Hoffman, six. Harvey Keitel, 11. And after each rejection, a candidate had to wait a year to try again. Wow. Martin Landau and Steve McQueen were the only two students admitted one year out of 2,000 candidates wow. who auditioned. Now, unlike the open rehearsals that Stanislavski had or the open classes, this one was guarded with privacy and secrecy. Strasbourg would not let anybody in. Basically, the Scientology Center. All right, go ahead and uh, get part of that monologue memorized and come upstairs and we're going to get your thetan levels. And... <laughs> I cannot live another day without air conditioning. It says tomorrow's going to be hotter. Hotter? Like yesterday. Yesterday? But yesterday you said you'd call Patreon. I'll call today. You'll call now. I'll call now. That's right. To be one of the cool kids, become one of our Patreon supporters and help keep us on the air. Head on over to Patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue doing what we are doing. So what's the paper say about tomorrow? Another scorcher. Cool. At his class in the, in the technique of acting, Lee lay down the rules he supervised the first exercises and the big thing was just getting them to um think about the world of the play the given circumstances the moment before so uh, you see you see now like when people play an actor and like before they go onto the scene they like close their eyes and put their head down and emotionally prep that's a Lee Strasberg technique. Here's a little bit of Lee Strasberg teaching. Uh, this is him actually teaching the actress Ellen Burstyn okay. in 1979, who was a student of his. But listen to how he talks to her and listen to how he passes off his knowledge. You have that naturally. But when you did it here, you went so much with the personal thing that you lost some of the things that, they ha that she has. I lost... In the way in which you cried, I lost the character. You would have to be aware of what's going on. Your heart breaks. There are a lot of cliches around about what method acting is, you know. Like if you tear your t-shirt, you're a method actor. And that's, that's really not it. It's, the method just simply means a method of work, an approach to work, so that you can connect with your character on as deep a level as possible. Here he is directing an actress by the name of Catherine Cortez. And in this scene, she's uh, trying to prepare a drink while um, a man sleeps in her bed. You see how you, how you sidetrack to do something and don't continue what it is you're doing? I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. But I have to say that as soon as Lee started to talk to me, 
it completely focused me. You see how you give everything away. Then it's exactly what is not to be done. That's mechanical. That's one of the problems that the actor has to maintain. You play with ten fingers, not with one finger. You know the people that play the piano with one finger? You know, chopsticks. No, keep going. Don't look at it. Don't anticipate it. No, sir. Look, you look and you already do. Look, I pick something up, right? And I pick it up. Okay, I pick it up. He would seem to get mad, I mean, and, and really come at you. Looking at it, it looks like an attack. But when I was on the other side of it, I didn't experience as an attack. But with Strasbourg, as I was saying, is the fact that um, it's like a cult. Like, you can't perform until I give you the seal of approval to perform. And once again, folks, if it works for you, amazing. Some of his uh, uh, people that have gone through the actor's studio include Al Pacino, Julie Harris, Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, Geraldine Page, Maureen Stapleton, Anne Bancroft, Dustin Hoffman, Patricia Neal, Rod Steiger, Mildred Dunnick, Ava Marie Saint, Eli Wallach, Ann Jackson, Ben Gazzara, Sidney Poitier, Carl Malden, Gene Wilder, Shelley Winters, Dennis Hopper, and Sally Field. Those are the people that are most associated with the method. Now, the biggest, like I said, representation of the method was Marlon Brando, who once said, it made me a real actor. Made me a real asshole. And every actor in America wanted to be Brando, but years later, in his biography, he admitted Strasberg taught him nothing, oh. and it was studying with Stella Adler. Oh. It changed his life. And this is what he said in his biography. After I had some success, Lee Strasberg tried to take credit for teaching me how to act. He never taught me anything. He would have claimed credit for the sun and the moon if he believed he could get away with it. He tried to project himself as an acting oracle and guru. Some people worshipped him, and I never knew why. I sometimes went to the actor's studio on Sunday mornings because Elliot Kazan was teaching, and there was usually a lot of good-looking girls there. But Strasberg never taught me acting. Stella did. And later... Kazan. So, who is Stella Adler? Stella, unlikely, came from a very prestigious line of actors in the Yiddish theater. It was the Adler dynasty. Oh, or, wow. Or, as it was known by Yiddish audiences, what, from this they make a living? <laughs> she, likely, also saw Stanislavski's U.S. shows and was transfixed. So in 1931, she also joined the group theater with along with Sandy Meisner, who we're going to hear about in a little oh, bit, well. all under uh, the guidance of Lee Strasberg. She also found a husband in one of the other founders, Harold Clerman, and together she and Harold went to Paris to study directly with Stanislavski. Now, when she was there, she said, she goes, I'm struggling with emotional memory, and Stanislavski said, Actually, emotional memory and recall is kind of bullshit. I don't think you need to do that anymore. I think I made a mistake. And it really should be about your imagination rather than your memory. So Stella went back to America and said, Lee, you'll never believe this. Your whole way of teaching, like what you're teaching, doesn't work anymore. He doesn't want you to do that anymore. And Lee Strasberg said, fuck off. This is how I do it. So even though they're telling him to change it, and the guy he's preaching about is also being like, hey, this doesn't work anymore. Strasburg's like, nope, that's not I'm going to do it. It's like when uh, it's like when someone has a McDonald's franchise and then like McDonald's as a company yes, says, yes. no, take that off the menu. And the franchisee's like, no, I don't want to take that off the exactly. menu. <laughs> the McRib is here to stay. Yeah. No, absolutely. She said, quote, drawing on the emotions I experienced, for example, when my mother died to create a role is sick and schizophrenic. If that is acting. I don't want to do it. So in uh, she started her own school in 1949. So there was a period between leaving Lee Strasberg and then starting her own school where she was in Hollywood. She was doing movies, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there was no love lost between the two of them because when Lee died in 1982, she said, quote, it will take the theater decades to recover from the damage that Lee Strasberg inflicted on American actors. Wow. I agree with that because the crazy teachers and sadistic acting teachers you hear about now, they all studied under them. Do you know what I mean? So it's going to take a while for this cycle to break. Um, her acting schools still operate today in, in New York and Los Angeles. And now here are some of the people that she worked with, some of her um, 
her clients. Uh, Robert De Niro, Elaine Stritch, Martin Sheen, Diana Mulder, Dolores Del Rio, Bob Crane, Roy Scheider, Vincent D'Onofrio, Mark Ruffalo, Warren Beatty, Michael Imperioli, Selma Hayek, Sean Astin, Barbara Stewart, Joyce Meadows, Stephen Bauer, Judd Nelson, Christoph Waltz, Benicio Del Toro, and Marlon Brando, who served as the New York Studios Honorary Chairman until his death and then was replaced by Warren Beatty. Oh. The Stella Adler School of uh, Acting in New York opened a new studio in L.A., and so, folks, if you're in the L.A. or New York area, go take a look at it uh this is marlon brando quote stella adler was much more than a teacher of acting through her work she imparts the most valuable kind of information how to discover the nature of our own emotional mechanics and therefore those of others she never lent herself to vulgar exploitations as some other well-known so-called quote methods of acting have done as a result her contributions to the theatrical culture have remained largely unknown unrecognized and unappreciated. So what was Stella Adler's method? Basically, it was the same idea of objective and motivation, but none of that emotional recall shit. And extensive research was needed to understand the experiences of the characters who have different values and are from different cultures. Research, 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 research. Surround yourself in that world. She also believed in a 50-50 split, 50 external, 50 internal, that 50% of the character is made up through your internal emotional reaction, and then 50% is what your physical body is using to tell the story. Got it. Which uh, they didn't really do so much over in the Strasbourg school. Uh, and unlike Strasbourg, she believed that the mastery of the physical and vocal aspects of acting was necessary for the actor to command the stage and all that body language should be carefully crafted and voices needed to be clear and expressive. She's often referred to this as the actor's, quote, worthiness of the stage. Her biggest uh, phrase was, quote, in your choices lies your talent. And she encouraged actors to find the most grand character interpretation possible in a scene. There was three words that she lived by. Don't be boring. This is a little bit of Stella Adler teaching. Now, the way she would teach is she would have a table on stage and a chair and a secretary sitting next to her, and she would pontificate from the table. Now, you mustn't put anything on your body which doesn't feed the play and which doesn't feed your soul. Because you're not acting words. You are not acting words. That is not part of the tradition in which this playwright wrote a play. You cannot dress that way. You cannot use a bottle that way. You cannot use candles that way. And I don't want to be subjected to it. Do you understand? I can't get anywhere with you in the park. If you will notice, though, that the thing that Adler and Strasberg did have in common with each other was the fact that it was all about you. It was all about Ray Heeple. Oh. Let's, let's bring in now Sanford Meisner, who said, no, it's not about you. It's about the other. Sanford Meisner. Uh, now, Sanford Meisner had a pretty traumatic life, but this made me so sad. His baby brother died from drinking unpasteurized milk, and the parents blamed Sanford for the brother's death. Well, Sanford's a cow. Oh, maybe that's <laughs> great. Now, so Meisner decided that he would get himself into acting, uh, like all... <laughs> Tra traumatized kids do. Um, <laughs> yeah. got, got to be, uh, he got picked up uh, to be part of the group theater and began working as an actor learning via Strasbourg the methodology of being an actor. And then when Stella came back and said, hey, effective memory is bullshit, then Meisner left and was like, I'm going to go work on my own technique, not a system, not a method. But he's like, but I'll take all the best elements from Stanislavski, from Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg, and that's what I'll teach and he opened up uh, the neighbor. He didn't open up. I'm sorry. He took residence in the neighborhood playhouse in the 1930s. The goal of the Meisner approach uh, is for actors to not focus on themselves and instead concentrate on the other actors 
in the immediate environment. So to this end, some exercises for the Meisner technique are rooted in repetition, so that the words are deemed insignificant compared to the underlying emotion. In the Meisner technique, there's a greater focus on the other actor as opposed to one's own internal thoughts or feelings associated with the character. So if I'm going to get to work on my character, the first thing I do is, is I'm going to see how can I change Ray. That's the objective. Uh, and I'll fill it in with active verbs. To educate Ray. To awaken Ray. To enlighten Ray. To seduce Ray. This is getting weird. To blow Ray. Whoa. So his thing is is doing those active verbs, but always about the other person. We're not going to talk about the time the dog got run over in your life. We're not going to ask you to go and do like, you know, re bring in clothing and, and, you know, put on this clothing and shit like that. No, it's going to always be about the other person. And if you're always working to change me and I'm always working to change you, then you're going to have real drama and real conflict. So his most famous exercise, because he was really in, big into exercises, it took a while to get like to Jack like... Jack LaLanne. <laughs> Hello! Uh, it took a while to get into like actually doing scenes with Meisner. It was all about Got exercises. It. And the big one was repetition. Now, have you ever done repetition? Yes. Do you want to explain what it is? Or should it, I? Oh, is, it this, is it when you just say the same word over and over in yes. different ways? Yep. So two actors, they sit across from each other and they respond to each other through a repeated phrase. Initially, the phrase refers to an external physical characteristic like you're wearing a plaid shirt. And as the exercise progresses, it becomes more about each other's behavior. So it'll eventually go to you look unhappy with me right now. The way this phrase is said as it is repeated changes in meaning, tone and intensity to correspond with the behavior that each actor produces towards the other. Here's some repetition for you. You have big teeth. I have big teeth? You have big teeth. I have big teeth? Yes, you have big teeth. All right, I have big teeth. All right, you have big teeth. All right, I have big teeth. All right, you're a little bothered. A little bit. Just a little bit. A little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So some of uh, Meisner's students include... Dylan McDermott, James Kahn, Steve McQueen, Robert Duvall, Gregory Peck, Diane Keaton, Jeff Goldblum, Tony Randall, Sidney Pollack, David Mamet, Connie Britton, Brian Garrity, Leslie Moonves, Sherry Renee Scott, Chris Noth, Tucker Smallwood, Mary Steenburgen, Betsy Von Furstenberg, Allison Janney, Jennifer Gray, Ashley Atkinson, Christopher Maloney, and Alex Cole Taylor. His big thing, though, was he felt, be you. Like, just be you. And everything, will, you. You, and everything will take care of itself as long as you're focused on the other. Uh, he was gay, uh, which also I think probably led to a sense of like, like, hey, live your dreams, be, be who you are. And uh, if you see any video clips of him, he had cancer and had to use one of those voice uh, boxes for the last 30 years of his life. So when you hear him talk... It's not any audio being distorted. It was just the way he was communicating in the last years of his life. Here he is doing a little bit of teaching. What does an acting teacher do? What are you teaching? When I first began to teach, I taught with that kind of semi-intellectual manipulation, which one sees at its worst in the colleges, you see. And... Uh, rules. Rules. Intellectual theories, you know. You can talk about how to play a part, but until it finds its living roots in you, it's a, it's a All of these styles, though, have been lumped together under what is known as the method. But as you can really see, it's just the system with different teachers anchoring onto the elements of the system that they really enjoy. Where is acting now? We'll discuss it after the break. Ooh. This was a thing, this was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Meisner Academy's audition series. Thank you, yes. Uh, as you know, tonight's series is called Meisner on Camera, and it's taught by acclaimed Meisner teacher Paul Paulson, who's booked under fives in succession. Hack. 
Max and Gutfeld. Now, unfortunately, Paul's come down with COVID, so he won't be teaching today's class. But we here at the Meisner Academy believe that the best education can come from the unlikeliest of places and no refund should ever be granted. We have a wonderful roster of teaching artists, and we are so fortunate today to have back with us a teacher who has 27 off off Broadway credits and has been with the Academy since its first opening its doors in 1972. Please give a big, warm round of applause for Carbonell Award-winning actor, Cy Harris. What an introduction. Hello, I'm Cy Harris. You probably know me from my Carbonell Award-winning one-man show called Rightly Rochester, The Life and Times of Jack Benny's Butler. Now, if you haven't seen it recently, you can thank the hashtag movement. I say if it was good enough for Jolson, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Sorry, this handkerchief, it was given to me by the one and only Linda Lavin. We were doing Lost in Yonkers at the Tin Pan Players in Sarasota when she said to me, Sigh, take this handkerchief. It belonged to Gail Gordon. And I did. And I keep it with me. Because that's what theater is. Keeping things that don't belong to you. I still have the suit that I wore in Inherit the Wind, which I did at the Seward and Cedar Dinner Theater in Cicero. It starred Jenna Van Oy and Lonnie Price. Uh, Mr. Harris, I I'm so sorry to interrupt, but we only have an hour, and we like to get everyone up to perform. It's okay. You're telling me to shut up? The last person who told me to shut up was Tony Danza. We were doing the first national tour of Blues Clues. We opened at the Count Chocula Center for the Performing Arts in Syracuse. Uh, let me introduce you to one of our first-year students. This is Dolly Elmwood. Hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. You know, I couldn't get an audition for that. I think it's because in 74 I threw up on Bette Midler at the baths. I mean, all over her. I had bad oysters at Howard Johnson's. It's not my fault. It's okay, though. I played Dolly at uh, the Driftwood Drama Guild in Denison. I was Vandergelder, and you know who was Dolly? Vivian Vance! She died the year before, but she never missed a performance. Always show up. Now I go to the theater and the call board outside is filled with understudies. This one's out. That one's out. They call out when they buy a new pair of shoes. <laughs> I can't take credit for that joke. That's Kay Ballard. She died, you know. We were very best friends. When did she die? How the hell should I know? What am I, the coroner of the stars? Okay, enough sitting shiver for a woman who told me I was too fat to play Rum Tum Tugger. Meanwhile, today, I took a class at Steps, and they're trying to fit her ashes into a beer barrel. All right, who's singing first? What are you doing? No phones in my class. Sorry, I was Googling you. Uh, your, your bio says you worked with Arthur Miller? Class, remember that Arthur Miller wrote Death of a Salesman. No, 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 not him. I know Arthur Hiller. He wrote the great off-off-off-off-off-Broadway show I starred in called Kugel Capers of 1998. It starred a young Paige Davis as Molly, the Kugel wench. Uh, it says you originated the role of Mark and Rent. No, no, that, that's a typo. My nephew made a typo. I don't know how to use the computer. I originated the role of Mark in Rent Wars, another show that went nowhere fast. I was nominated for a nymphy. I lost to Norbert Leo Putz. This is Kyle. Uh, he's our star student. He's been seen five times for the Book of Mormon tour. Big deal. I'm not getting married on Wednesday. Saw me 28 times. And that was when you auditioned on the stage and had to swallow. Let me see the resume and headshot. Kyle, this resume's all wrong. It doesn't list your service number. Look at this headshot. What kind of pose is this? You need a better pose. Look, I brought my headshots today. You see this one? This one I call happily smiling with jazz hands. See this one where I look sad? I call this one, the results came back positive. You see this one? This one where I'm wearing a stethoscope? That's the one that booked me the role of Dr. Schlein in the one season Univision soap opera, Miercoles, Parity. Need a lot of Ben Nye for that one. What are you performing today, Kyle? Um, I'm doing Joe's monologue from Waiting for Lefty when he finds out that his kid died. <clears throat> oh! Jesus, those sounds! What is that? I didn't make sounds like that when I lost my virginity, and I was anally penetrated by the background players of Eight is Enough! Oh, that's me. It's my agent. I was up for the Diary of Anne Frank with the surviving cast of the Partridge family at the Mineola Mimes and Mummers. I might have helped Danny Bonaducci score smack, but he's going to make a fabulous meep. Before I go, are there any questions? No. I have a question. Is there a payphone? Sir, it's 2022. Okay, then I'll need two quarters. Can I borrow two quarters for the payphone? There's no payphones around here. I don't like the way this business is changing. We have an office phone. No, you can trace an office phone.
Thank you. This was a sketch. So once again, just a little recap for you. Stanislavski is the granddaddy of all modern acting. Okay. Right? He says, you need to behave truthfully, you need to have a, an objective, and you need to have a motivation. I'm going to educate you because it makes me feel better about myself. There. I've done my motivation. I've done my objective. So that's so that's Stanislavski. Then you had Strasberg, Adler, and Meisner all joining the same group theater, all to learn about how to do ensemble work like Stanislavski was doing. And then Strasberg decides to create his own acting class, which is going to be about effective memory. It's pretty much he's saying if you're going to act, it's got to be about emotional recall for you. Then Stella Adler finds out Stanislavski's like, I don't teach that anymore. I think it's kind of stupid. She's like, let's do something where it's not as harmful. Her thing is, it just has to be filling your soul. And dress the part. And dress the part. And then <laughs> Sanford Meisner probably looked around and was like, everyone here, bash you crazy. And he, was, and he said, I'm going to take the best of all of them, but the emphasis is really going to be on the other person and that your job as an actor is to have a very clear objective. And as long as you're playing that objective and working off of the other person, you'll be fine and the audience will have a better time for it. So it seems that a lot of movie stars end up doing the Strasberg technique because I think one of the issues is is if in this scene you're supposed to have found out that your your wife just died, right? And you're supposed to have like a mourning period over it. It's on film, I think you can think of something sad because whatever you're thinking of that's sad, that emotion is going to be what conjures up an immediate response in you. You're on a film set. We don't have a lot of time. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay. But now think about it. As time goes on, whatever's tragic or traumatic to you, that sort of, you learn to deal with it and cope, and then the emotion doesn't have the same effect as time goes on, which doesn't make, I don't think Strasbourg then works for stage work, in which you have to consistently keep yeah. something going. Now, Adler works for stage work because she's like, you have to be big and you have to be expansive. But what I don't know what that would look like on camera, right? Yeah. The Meisner one, I don't think works for film per se, but seems to work for theater. Because in film, there's a lot of times when you're acting and your scene partner isn't even there behind the camera. Yeah. So you're making up. So you're not really, you can't really work off sure. of them other per se yeah, yeah, yeah you're imagining what that person might say so who knows i'm sure people would disagree with me and that's totally fine the method really took hold though as a national idea during the independent studio movement of the 1970s so when um when they started getting rid of like hollywood stars and replacing them with normal looking people think al pacino and the godfather de niro and taxi driver dustin hoffman right all of them were method actors. And so if you were an, a young person trying to be an actor, you copied the people ahead of you. So then everyone thought, oh, I have to be a method actor. And that's where people start to do some damage to themselves when they get too involved in the method, which is like, you know, the Dustin Hoffman story of staying up for 48 hours. Or I knew an actor once who had to play a character with a limp. And so for two months, he walked around seriously with a weight in one of his shoes and now he has like tons of foot and ankle injuries because of it oh my you know god I mean? but it's like can't you pretend like can't you pretend i put a wood block in a, my shoe for a play in 10th grade to have a limp but it was just during the show i see very nice very nice that was good man I think i'm fine now no you're good are you are you hobbling a little bit you okay oh no 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 that's just uh that's an old high school injury from a play i did oh okay thanks <laughs> <laughs> um where is acting methodology today? So what seems to have happened is that a lot of these unemployed actors have decided to employ themselves as teachers. And so you sometimes they I'm a teacher, too. I'm not I'm not. No, no, it's just, it, no, I know. But it is just funny, like how many acting like, well, I studied under stud someone that studied oh, yeah. under Every, everyone now. And now when people try to impress me, they go, well, my teacher studied under Stella Adler. Stella Adler died 400 years ago. So how did this teach? You know what I mean? It's like, no. They saw someone who knew someone who went to someone. My who acting class is in their hospice. So once <laughs> Stella, what did you think of my scene from Mr. Roberts? I have no soul. <laughs> that was it. Or pulse. <laughs> I think now, though, people can go to these acting schools. I think, though, a lot of colleges and universities 
that for people that are interested in theater and film production, there are classes and these are being taught. But now what's happening, which is really interesting, is a lot of people have felt that the method has been really emotionally destructive because somebody who's not a licensed mental health facilitator is asking you in a room of strangers, right? Tell me about a time you felt vulnerable. Tell me about a time you felt angry. Haven't you ever wanted to kill blah, blah, blah? And so now there's a lot of backlash against the method because they feel like it's nobody's business. Some acting teachers, though, argue that I, my job is to get an honest – my job is to get the best performance out of the student possible, and it doesn't matter how I get there. There's a lot of jobs, I think, where it's, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. And acting, I think, is the only profession that I can think of where it's not how you play the game. Did you win or did you lose? Did you give a good performance or did you not give a good performance? Yeah, interesting. Nobody yeah. cares how you got there. If I need you to cry in this moment, I don't care if you're thinking about your dead dog or you're trying to elicit sympathy or you're trying to do, or you know, you're wearing someone's shirt. I don't give a shit. Can you do it for me? That's all I care about. Mm -hmm. And I think that all of that, like, especially young people, can you imagine, like, you're 20. You're not even 21 yet. You're just, you're move, you've just moved out of your parents' house for the first time, and there you are in a group of strangers and acting. To, Tell me about your first sexual experience. You know what I mean? I just don't – what is the – I don't get that. I, as, as I'm saying as an educator and a facilitator, I do not understand that. Do you think there's a benefit to it? And it's great if you're like, yeah, I do. I mean, maybe not in front of strangers and stuff, but I mean, if it's like one of those like a long time act, like, you know, if you've been in an acting class with people for a while and well, stuff, and you get, you know, like maybe yeah. getting into deeper and stuff, but – not, I don't know, not strangers. Now, today, it seems like acting teachers have taken, like, these elements of stuff. A lot of schools are Meisner schools. A lot of universities say they, they teach the Meisner method of doing things. And I think that's because there's the most exercises there as well. <laughs> so it you know, you can really fill up a syllabus. And you can then also grade and see if they're doing it correctly. And I, don't even, I still don't even know what doing it correctly even means. So what is the acting style, though, today in Hollywood? Well, it's interesting, I think, because now you kind of have a combination of both pre-method acting, which is stars, people that pretty much always play themselves in the same role. Like, God bless them. Matthew McConaughey is pretty much Matthew McConaughey in every single movie he's ever been in. Mm -hmm. But in terms of acting, he will do certain things to be more specific for the methodology of that character. So like in Dallas Buyers Club. True detective. True detective, right? He actually went through those things. But overall, he's still always playing a variation. Of, I wouldn't want to say a variation of himself. He's playing himself just in different clothing. Yeah. And then you still have actresses today or actors today that still also kind of do that. So I think like if you think of... Still people that embrace the method. Al Pacino still does it. I would say Meryl Streep. Okay, yeah. Meryl Streep to me feels like a Stella Adler student, which is like it's 50% internal, 50% external, and don't be boring. Yeah, I can see that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I absolutely see that. Pacino I can see as a Strasbourg. Pacino's such a Strasbourg. He's such a, and he's so Venusian. <laughs> uh, call back to him. Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And then I'm trying to think, what other actors can you think of today? Do you think can you think of any other like actors to you that really embrace the method? Christian Bale. Christian Bale. But then I'm also uh, wondering with him, is that like more a Stella Adler thing, where all he's really doing is changing the? I mean, no, oh no, he does both. He changes, but the external, I would also say the voice is external as well. Daniel Day Lewis. Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, that's a good one. Have you sat through some pretty bad acting classes? Tony. Oh uh, wait a minute. You know, I've mentioned all these acting teachers, and there's one acting teacher that we haven't mentioned, Ray. I'm not going to mention his name. We're just going to call him Tony L for, for this podcast. Do you want to tell Ray about the time that we took an acting class with Tony L? Well, Tony L was an actor. He did a uh, a movie in the uh, in a in a county that Rob and I are familiar with uh, outside uh, in Southern California called uh, I'll just say. Uh, Happy, you got it, got it, got uh, it. Happy writers, yeah. Happy writers, part of the happy writers. Um, well, anyway, Tony, uh, uh, it became a hairdresser, but also wanted to go around and giving uh advice to shows in the community, uh, adjudicate them and just give notes. But he also uh did an acting class at the local uh community rec center, center. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I sat in one time, we had to do improv games like the Easter Bunny goes to the supermarket. And uh, there was Doris. Was it Doris? Francis. Francis. 
Francis was an older woman and she was taking notes like a you know shorthand notes like a secretary <laughs> on a stenographer pad. Stenographer. And pad. she kept falling asleep yeah, and everybody goes, asleep. "Francis, wake up! Uh, you want to play a game?" Yeah. This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a this was a quiz with Mark Schroeder. So, Mr. Schroeder, mm -hmm. I know you're an actor. I am. You're a quite good actor. Thanks, buddy. I've seen you on many commercials. Thanks, man. Yeah. My my father will always call me whenever you're on that Jack in the Box commercial. Mm -hmm. Turn on channel. I'm in a different I say, Dad, market. I'm in New York. We don't even have Jack in the Boxes. <laughs> they just stole my television. <laughs> well, tell them to turn to channel. Yeah. yeah. Tell the robber. <laughs> turn on channel seven. Mark's on. Tell him Mark's on. Sound with no Jack. Sound with no Jack Mark. Sourdough Mark. That's how I'm going to call you for now. It's Sourdough Mark. <laughs> or Sourdough Mark friends. Um, but you are an actor. Did you take act? Did you go to acting school or acting classes? I did go to acting classes. Yes. Um, and the method is, is pretty wide ranging. I think. I think now, presently, they use that term to really lump a bunch of stuff. In. Yeah. Yes. People that don't necessarily know yes. much yeah. about it just say method acting. Anytime somebody does something weird, behaves strangely, yeah. it gets lumped in, which is a bummer because people associate it with the lunatic actors who do crazy things when they make a movie and it's unfortunate because there's plenty of people who use method work to do great work without the drama true mark mm -hmm. look at sally field no 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 look who cares her. about Sally? we don't care about sally <laughs> no, look field. at her she's right no, here. no no oh god hey sal oh she delivered hey, the food yes she was very she's sweet not, she oh, brought lunch today okay no we do like you we tipped you you <laughs> tipped me you really like me but we don't care about the Sally Fields of the world who don't really make the news or the headlines, no. right? We care about the lunatics. We're going to focus on them and their antics with a little game called Method to the Madness. Ooh. Rob, Ray, you're competing against each other. Oh, See who great. can answer trivia questions about problematic actor behavior on set. I'll give you the first answer. It's Ray. I know it's going to be right. Well, there's okay, been some problematic the behavior. Up. See, there we go. Yeah, there's been some problematic behavior during the recording of this yes. podcast. Don't fuck with me, motherfucker. <laughs> I am going to fucking flip this motherfucking table, okay? Okay, 10-2. Everybody 10-2. Everybody 10-2. Oh, boy. I don't know why everybody has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I got 10 questions here. Whoever gets the most right wins, the loser has to turn in their union card because they're <gasps> never going to work in this town again. Oh, no. right. Get ready. In 2009, he had an on-set blow-up at cinematographer Shane Christian Hurley. Bale. Yes, that is correct. Lily Tomlin... Had a famous song to Huckabee. Grow Russell. Up. <laughs> yes. Wait, which one of us got it right? It was I Heart Huckabees. It was yes! the name. It was gonna be the name of the film. Yes! A clearly inebriated Orson Welles required multiple takes to film a night. Oh, 1980... <laughs> yes, oh no, correct. no. I can't believe I didn't get it out fast <laughs> enough. I'm obsessed with that. <laughs> oh. Finest French champagne. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't say anything. <laughs> the French. <laughs> He's literally in pain. I could just watch that all life. Bill Murray allegedly got into a physical altercation with this actress during the filming Lucy of Lou. Two. Yes, that is correct. In December 2020, audio was leaked of Tom Cruise berating the film crew of this blockbuster. Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible 7. 7. Yes. That was a tie. I think that came in at the exact same time, you too. This eccentric actor allegedly gifted his Suicide Squad castmate Margot Robbie with a live rat. Jared Leto. A live round? Rat. rat. Oh, a live, a live rat. rat. According to her, this actor is responsible for slapping Meryl Streep on the very first day of Dustin her very Hoffman. first movie. Yes, on the set of Kramer versus Kramer. Uh, not a good dude. I don't know if you no. like that you're yeah. a big Dawson Huffman fan. I don't think you should be. I am not. Okay, good, good, good. Bill Murray, no stranger to conflict, reportedly told his co-star on the set of this 1991 film, Everybody Hates what You. What about Bob? What about Bob? Richard yes. Dreyfus. And he also threw the assistant director woman, I think, into a lake. <laughs> Yeah, I think all those stories are true. Yeah, yeah. only one anyone liked on that film was Julie Haggerty. Okay, even though she also threw somebody into a lake, but they didn't mind it. Andy, no, she's so sweet. Andy also threw a glass ashtray at, at Richard Dreyfus. At Richard Dreyfus, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy guy. But we love him. Yeah, but hey, love he runs into him. people in the park and uh, says, "Your friends will never believe you." Yeah, and then steals their personal property. Yeah. <laughs> These two iconic actresses and career-long rivals. Duked it out daily. Betty Davis and uh, Joan, Crawford. Joan Crawford. Okay, as a tag team yeah. duo, you guys came up with that one. That's good. By Ryan Murphy. When they called Betty Davis and they're like, Joan Crawford died, do you have anything to say? And she goes, my mother always said, if someone dies, you only say good things. So, Joan Crawford's dead. 
good. And hung up the phone. <laughs> and she had those eyes. Marlon Brando tried to stop production of this 1996 film to add a rewrite revealing that his character was secretly a dolphin. Oh, oh Island uh, of Dr. Moreau. Yes, that's correct. No. no. Don Juan de Marco. Well, probably in multiple movie? films. Oh, yeah. I think in multiple films he tried to convince yeah. the director that he was secretly a dolphin. But you're a godfather, yeah. Marlon. I'll give him a fish he can't refuse. That's in the line. There's a documentary on the island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, it's great. It's, oh, really? It's fucking great. Shit. What's it called? Oh, God. Isle of Madness. The or production something. of Dr. Moreau. No. <laughs> the island of the production of Dr. Moreau. But they fired the director at a certain point. Yeah. And they were on this island. So he goes off, but he sneaks back onto his own set as an extra in different. So he's on the set of his own film with a new director pretending to be an extra. It's And that's just one of the many bonkers things that is happening on the set. Hey, friends, if you want to join our acting class, uh, <laughs> make sure to uh, hit us up at This Was The Thing this, Pod on this Instagram. This Was The Thing? This Was The Thing on Instagram. This Was pod. A Thing. Well, you do it. This Was A Thing I'm pod. not off book. Instagram, this was a thing pod. www.thiswasathing.com. There's too much direction going on around here. Patreon.com. I, I only take direction from one person. There is no fathomable way <laughs> to say, say in, in, to in, put in emphasis on an in. in. I don't understand knowing God's name way to do that. In, how do you tell me how you emphasize in 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 July and I'll go down on you? Ah, the <laughs> French. <laughs> Patreon.com yeah. slash this was a thing. And if you are willing to throw in an extra $10, maybe we can finally finish Magnificent Ambersons. Thank you. All right, friends. Till next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cut-Cut Schwartzberg. Our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese. Our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford. Our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing Too Graphic DeSavia. And finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And if you really like what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 